Hello, and welcome to Building Local Power, a podcast dedicated to thought-provoking conversations about how we can challenge corporate monopolies and expand the power of people to shape their own future. I'm Jess Delfiaco, the host of Building Local Power and the Communications Manager here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. For 45 years, ILSR has worked to build thriving, equitable communities where power, wealth, and accountability remain in local hands. For today's show, I'm joined by one of my colleagues, Kennedy Smith. Welcome to the show, Kennedy. Thanks, Jess. We're happy to have you on. And this is your first time on the show. Uh, So before we get to our conversation, which will be about state and local programs to support small businesses, um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about your background and what your focus is at ILSR? Sure. I started out as an architect, actually, but quickly turned away from that and got involved in downtown revitalization, which led me to a lot of work in small business development. I was the director of the National Main Street Center for uh, 14 years, had a consulting firm doing downtown economic development work for 15 years. And I've been a collaborator with ILSR over the years in those different roles. So it was a natural fit to uh, to join the ILSR team, focusing on, again, small business development issues. I started on March 3rd. Emergency was declared. <laughs> Baptism by fire, huh? <laughs> yes, very, uh, just days after that. And so it's been sort of small business relief 24-7. Yeah, and one of the things that you've done is put together that uh, great list of state and local programs that we have up on our website that we'll definitely link to in this post. So I am one of, I think, many people who are overwhelmed by the amount of COVID coverage out there. Could you catch us up on what's happening right now at the state and local level uh, with programs to support small businesses? Sure. There's a lot happening is the short answer. And communities have sort of come into this at a couple of different points. Initially, there was like just a lot of concern about keeping businesses alive, especially those that had to be closed by a governor's order or national order, Um, restaurants, retail businesses, things like that, that had to close their doors. So there was an injection of cash from communities who scrambled and found, you know, money everywhere, private contributions, appropriations that had been made for other projects in the community that everybody agreed immediately had to be rerouted into small businesses. And now that sort of that first wave of funding has happened and some business stabilization happened, now communities are beginning to look a little more deeply into, okay, so how can we really help businesses pivot and survive once they begin to reopen? And so they're starting to look at more specialized types of funding and thinking about those sort of long-term needs. But in the process of all of this, they're developing really fascinating partnerships. Organizations are coming together in ways that I've never seen happen before and really making some wonderful decisions about what's important in their community and how to make that happen. Yeah, that's great. And one of my questions was actually, um, we can kind of combine it with this next one, uh, which is, A, what are some of the differences between the federal and local small business programs we're seeing? And B, I was just wondering if, you know, by nature of them being local, if those programs are a lot more accessible for small businesses than the federal programs. Yeah, well, the federal programs, I mean, everyone's heard sort of the nightmares of the Paycheck Protection Program and how difficult it's been for businesses to get access to those, especially small businesses. Some of the larger businesses have been able to to get funding pretty quickly. The smaller ones have struggled, and that is one of the reasons why I think these local programs are so much more successful is because they're completely locally generated and people are getting money out the door to small businesses within, you know, a couple of days to a week. So it's very responsive and also very tailored. So, you know, in communities that have have a large number of businesses that cater to tourists. They might have one kind of funding available and those that have a lot of small manufacturers, there are programs that kind of target those kinds of businesses. So very responsive and very fast. So what are some of the unique things we're seeing on the local level? 
Several things I would say. One is that communities are making this happen, even if they just have a tiny bit of money. So communities don't seem to be letting lack of resources stop them from trying to make something happen. And there are communities that are offering programs that are completely crowdfunded. One example I came across was a school teacher in California who, because her town had like no money for anything, she started a crowdfunding thing herself with a fireman and a couple of other people in the community. And they raised all this money for small businesses. So it's at all scales, all scope, all sort of needs. Some examples that I've come across that I think are kind of fun and interesting are in Arkansas, the Startup Junkie Foundation partnered with Kiva to offer interest-free loans of up to $10,000 to small businesses in Benton and Washington counties. Emporia, Kansas had four organizations come together, the Emporia Community Foundation, Emporia Main Street Program, a local radio station, KVOE, and the United Way of the Flint Hills. And they kind of formed together a committee when this all started to think, what are the community's needs going to be? And they realized in the process of that, that their community didn't have any sort of emergency response function. And they decided that they should sort of become that. And so they um, each chipped in some money. They also got some some contributions from the public and are offering um, grants to small businesses through the Emporia Main Street program. Their team meets every Tuesday to review applications on a rolling basis, and they announce the grants on Wednesday. So decisions are made really, really fast. The um, Emporia community Foundation manages the donations and writes a check to the Emporia Main Street program, which then distributes the money directly to businesses. So within 24 hours of the loan application being reviewed, the grant application, a business has money. The radio station carries the announcements live of what the the new grantees are, which generates buzz for the program and attracts new donations. So it's kind of been a a self-sustaining process there. And they also are sort of doing some triage. They realize that there were some businesses that, you know, weren't in great shape anyway. The owners might have been getting older and thinking about an exit strategy. And so they're, you know, it's it's painful for them to talk about, but they're kind of thinking about, yeah, this younger business probably can use the cash better than this one that is has a bunch of dead flies in their storefront window and isn't really, you know, putting much energy into the business anyway. I've heard a few other people in the process of exploring these programs use the phrase, we don't want to water the weeds. So kind of a, a sad reality that we're probably going to lose some some underperforming businesses in the in the course of this. It's still just incredible to me that like not only did they put this all together, I mean, it, all this collaboration happened in such a short amount of time, but it happened without people being able to say like call a community meeting, you know, down at the right. town hall. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all happening by Zoom and telephone. You know, it's crazy. Some really wonderfully specialized programs. Uh, Iowa has a program called the Iowa Targeted Small Business Sole Operator Fund that gives grants of $10,000 to businesses that have no employees. It's just the owner himself or herself. I came across an African-American hairstylist in Detroit who launched a fund called the Beauty Professionals of Color Relief Fund. And uh, using the hashtag give the usual, she's encouraging people to who can't go to their hairstylist now to nonetheless contribute to that foundation that she's created, the amount they would usually pay for a haircut or hair treatment and is raising money to give to people who are you know, not able to do uh, hairstyling right now. Michigan Women's Forward has put together a $1.5 million resilience fund uh, for diverse entrepreneurs and small businesses from underrepresented groups in Michigan to reopen or pivot their businesses. That's something that, you know, we've hoped that Congress would do, that it would be more actively funneling money to underrepresented businesses and businesses in economically distressed areas. And it hasn't really been able to do that. But again, sort of on the community and state level, it's much easier to make that happen. Um, And that's one great takeaway from all of these programs is how they really are tailored to the specific needs of a place and are making sure that businesses that might be underserved otherwise are getting their needs met. 
I think we can just take a brief break here so I can take a minute to thank everyone for tuning into this episode of Building Local Power. If you enjoy listening to our show, if you share in our vision of thriving, equitable communities, we hope you'll consider making a donation to the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Not only does your support underwrite this podcast, but it also helps us produce invaluable research like the work you've heard Kennedy discuss today. Please take a minute and go to ilsr.org donate. Any amount is sincerely appreciated. So you've been speaking directly to a lot of these small business owners, correct? Um, I've been speaking to the people who are administering these funds. Yeah, right. Who are a wide range of people. You know, they could be, you know, a banker. They could be somebody from a community foundation. It's just all over the board. But I'm sure you have a sense of of what these businesses need right now, especially that I think every state is reopening, at least in some capacity, how they plan to adapt um, and what they need to do that. Yeah. I mean, one of the the greatest needs, of course, is learning how to be an omni-channel business all of a sudden. For years and years and years, I've been talking to business owners about the importance of being able to offer a buying online, picking up curbside, which is called BOPIS. And, um, you know, some have done it, some haven't. But all of a sudden, it seemed like in two weeks, every small business in the U.S. learned how to do that, learned how to let people order by phone or, you know, by online or something and pick up an, or, an, an, an order uh, curbside. Um and that's accelerating. And so I think that there's much more of a need now as because our, as, as far as we're getting to open again um, to pump money into that. And there are a number of programs I've come across that are, are, are providing funding specifically for um, online uh, storefronts for reconfiguring stores so that they're more sort of of a marketing and fulfillment center than they are a place that people can browse in. Mm-hmm. And also uh, some money now going to sort of bulk purchases for downtowns of things like uh, restaurant furniture for outdoor dining, sidewalk signs, new barriers and things that can block off pedestrian spaces in the districts. So communities are beginning to shift their funding attention that way now to help businesses pivot. And I'm sure there's some uh, local policy decisions there, too. I mean, I'm just thinking about the expansion of outdoor dining. Um, you know, in some cases, yeah. maybe we'll see like parts of streets closed off or sidewalks, right? Yeah, that's that's um, going to become very commonplace and it's happening very quickly. And I'm also finding that sort of a byproduct of all of this is a new level of trust between local government and the business community, because I've talked to some people who are saying in local government, I'm just overwhelmed. You know, we're, we're trying to administer these loans and grants and we have all the health concerns and we're concerned about our first responders. We don't have time to think about the zoning implications of what it means to suddenly turn, you know, a former vehicular traffic lane into, you know, a lane of, you know, dining, outdoor dining. So, you know, business community, get together and think about what it is that you need and want and bring it to us and we'll do it. And so it's happening very quickly with this nice level of collaboration that hasn't been there before. Looking at the longer term, do you have a sense on how we will kind of measure the successes of these programs and adjust as things change? I mean, other than just saying we're seeing a lot of businesses go out of business, are there other things that we're tracking and paying attention to that ILSR is paying attention to and that these programs are kind of using to judge how things are working? I would probably maybe spend that a little bit differently. And I would say there are some things that we're learning through this process of looking at what community needs are, what business needs are, and how communities are responding to them, both in the public and private sector realms. We're finding some sort of systemic problems that have been there for a long time. One of the things that emerged pretty early is, so you have a, um, you know, a downtown clothing store 
that has to close all of a sudden because of the governor's executive order. So they're closed, but someone can still go to a Walmart and to buy groceries and buy clothes while they're there Mm -hmm. and toys and books and hardware and all the things that all the other small businesses can't do all of a sudden. That's a that's a real a real problem from a, a market access perspective. And so communities kind of caught on to that and they're like, wait a second, this is wrong. And so many of the loan and grant programs that I've come across are specifically for businesses that have had to close completely because of this to sort of make up for some of the inequity built into that system. We've certainly seen uh, emerging, you know, sort of loud and center, the need for greater capital resources for unbanked and underbanked communities and entrepreneurs. And I think that that's going to be one of the lasting impacts of this, uh, positive impacts is that we're going to fill those those gaps. Communities are, are beginning to fill those gaps and be aware of them. Interesting and important lessons emerging from this that I think are going to hopefully make uh, communities but better places in the future. There's also some interesting collaboration between businesses happening as communities begin to think about opening up streets for dining. What we're finding happening is that, say you have a restaurant and it's next to, say, a bookstore and the bookstore is doing business through curbside pickups or local deliveries or something. The restaurant needs more space to expand outside. So we're finding neighboring businesses developing these collaborative partnerships where it's like, hey, let me put more tables out on the street in front of your bookstore. And since we now have all this space between tables, you can put racks of books between the tables. And people can like browse the books while they're eating and buy them. And so we're finding all those kinds of things happening out of this. Just a fascinating time to be watching what's happening with businesses and communities' responses to their needs. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to, to talk about? One thing I would I would say is that the demand is far outstripping the amount of money that's available, even in, even at the, the, the local level. Bexar County, Texas had a $5 million, $5.25 million fund for loans and grants for small businesses that opened on March 23rd. They had more than 150 applications in their first eight hours. They had 650 by the end of the first week, totaling $42 million in needs. So eight times the amount of money that they had. Loudoun County, Virginia, same thing. They uh, received 1,200 applications for a $1.4 million grant fund, but they could only support 201 businesses with it. Some places are are going back when they find out uh, how much demand there is and sort of patching in the holes. Pendleton, Oregon, the Pendleton Development Corporation had a relief and hospitality relief program, retail and hospitality relief program, making $2,000 grants to each of 50 small businesses, they thought. And they thought that if they had more than 50 small businesses, they would choose the ones who got grants by lottery. Well, they got a lot more demand. And so they said, wait a minute, we can't choose by lottery. Let's just go raise more money so that everybody can get a, a grant. So all 70 businesses got a $2,000 grant. That's something that the federal government obviously isn't in a position to do, and even a state government isn't. But at the local micro level, you can really make it happen and make the right kind of fund work for the community. That's great, Kennedy. It's it's just fascinating to hear about these different programs popping up everywhere. I mean, it's obviously sad that they have to do this kind of innovation right now. But as you said, there is a hope and potential for really interesting solutions that will solve problems that existed long before the coronavirus hit us. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I, I think it's really put a tight focus on what communities can do themselves to be self-sufficient and how they really are more effective at it than the federal government is. And my last question, which is just kind of for fun, sometimes we ask people for reading recommendations, but I've kind of expanded that to say, you know, what are you <laughs> are you reading or watching or doing anything that's uh, keeping you going during lockdown? Oh gosh, well it's uh, it's a happy coincidence that it is also sort of getting your garden season going. So mm-hmm. I've been doing a lot of work in my uh, vegetable garden in the backyard. I made the mistake of reading Hugh Howey's 
Wool series, the books, the books Wool, which were these wonderful self-published crowdfunded books, but they're about sort of this post-apocalyptic, you know, dystopian world. And it's <laughs> not the not the thing to read during a pandemic. So I'm trying to switch my my reading habits to uh, something gentler. Right. I've been um, reading a lot of Edith Wharton novels. Uh, oh. So it's it's great escapism because it's all about navigating these tricky kind of insane social situations, you know, giant dinner parties, the opera, right. whatever. <laughs> so it's, right. you know, wow, I can't imagine a time when I'll eat dinner with a group of people again, but it's nice to think about. It's fun to read about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I found in choosing, uh, in choosing TV shows and movies to watch that I've been going for the really feel good stuff. I've watched Sense and Sensibility again and yep. Galaxy Quest. I'm going for the things that or maybe he'll nice and oh, happy. the comfort food. <laughs> That's right, the comfort food movies. Um, okay, well, thank you, Kennedy, for joining me today. Uh, this was a great conversation, and I'll talk to you again soon. Okay, thanks. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Building Local Power podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. You can find links to what we discussed today by going to ilsr.org and clicking on the show page for this episode. That's ilsr.org. While you're there, you can sign up for one of our many newsletters and connect with us on social media. Finally, you can help us out with a gift that helps produce this very podcast and supports the research and resources we make available for free on our website. You can also help us out by rating this podcast and sharing it with your friends on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. This show is produced by Zach Fried, Shushmita Shrestha, and me, Jess Alfiaco. Our theme music is Funk Interlude by Dysfunctional. For the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, I'm Jess Delfiaco, and I hope you'll join us again in two weeks for the next episode of Building Local Power. 